Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. Earlier this year, the governments of New Brunswick and Saskatchewan both implemented new policies for this coming school year regarding their LGBTQ school community. Starting this year, students under the age of 16 who wish to change their pronouns or assign name from birth would need to have parental consent to do so. What this means is that should an LGBTQ student confide in a teacher about their wishes, the school would be obligated to notify that student's parents, even if doing so might put the student's safety at risk. Last week, the Ontario Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, voiced his support for such a policy and opened the door to Ontario possibly introducing a similar policy in Ontario schools. This, of course, polarized the public with those on the right advocating that there is no harm in schools notifying homes about these changes, often under the guise of parental rights. Meanwhile, organizations such as the Ontario Principals Council, PFLAG Canada, and even UNIFOR have issued statements opposing such policies in Canada. This debate comes at a time in Ontario when the current government is desperate to change the conversation from the ongoing Greenbelt scandal. With a lot of attention being directed to that ongoing story, though, we looked at the lack of clear statements from opposition parties at Queen's Park. With the opposition parties all eager to keep the LGBTQ community support, we thought that it would be pretty clear-cut response advocating for trans and gay and lesbian students. However, as of recording this episode on the Labor Day long weekend, the NDP and Green Party leaders have not issued a statement. As a podcast that has before talked about the matter of LGBTQ plus rights and students in regards to the raising of the pride flag at Catholic schools, we thought it prudent to once again look at this issue. However, to do so, we wanted to speak with someone who would be eminently qualified to address this issue from the perspective of the LGBTQ plus community, parents, as well as knowledgeable about education policy. This is why we welcome to the podcast the Honorable Kathleen Wynne. As many of you are aware, Kathleen Wynne has been a Toronto School Board trustee, elected to the Ontario Legislature to represent the riding of Don Valley West in 2003. She has served as Minister of Education and was elected in 2013 as Canada's first openly gay premier. She currently lives in Toronto with her partner, Jane, and is a mother and grandmother. She joins us today. And before we begin, a quick editorial note. In the course of recording this episode, I stated that four out of five of the Ontario Liberal leadership candidates issued a statement on this matter. Just before we launch this episode, we can say that all five candidates have issued a statement in opposition to the policy and have affirmed their support for LGBTQ student safety in Ontario schools. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you to the Honourable uh, Kathleen Wynne for joining us today on the 905er podcast to talk about this very uh, important uh, subject material. Uh, thank you, Ms. Wynne, for, for coming on today. It's my pleasure, Joel. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me. It's a very important subject, and um, I'm very worried about it. So thank you for having me on. Uh, I want to to lay out the kind of a base ground for our listeners to understand what is currently going on in Ontario schools. So if a student was to come out to a teacher uh, to change their pronouns or to change their, their, uh, their name to a teacher, 
right now, what would a teacher uh, be obligated to do uh, in, in Ontario school? So I think um, as a starting point, the, um, the teacher would not be obligated and the school would not be obligated to send a letter home to the family to tell them that this had happened, that the child had made this decision. So I think that's, that's an important starting point because um, different boards have slightly different policies, um, but generally there would need to be consent of the child to inform the parents of, uh, of such a change. So, um, so that's, that's generally the situation. I think the other thing to remember is that um, there is a relationship you know, sometimes it's a good relationship, sometimes it's not a, a good relationship, but there is a, a relationship between the teacher and the family, between the administration and the family of, um, of children who are in our nearly 5,000 publicly funded schools, you know, those relationships exist and they, they are, um, they're the foundation for the communication between the home and the school. So, so we, we have to we have to just remember that that's a factor in all of this. And I'm sure we'll come back to that. Uh, absolutely. Um, but so the reason why we're discussing this today is, of course, uh, in New Brunswick and in Saskatchewan, uh, both of those governments have implemented a new policy in which uh, the, the school would be obliged to inform the parent of the child that the child would wish to change their pronoun uh, or their name. Uh, which is mirrored a lot on what's been going on in Florida uh, with uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, uh, policy change there. And here in Ontario, uh, this past month, just before the start of the new school year, Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, has kind of flirted with this idea and, and thrown it out there into the public discourse. And I'd like to get your input on on, on that debate ha uh, kind of happening right now in uh, in Ontario. Well, I'm, I'm very worried about it. You know, I, I think that it is, I think it's a dangerous path to go down. Um, I think that the years that we have spent in education and I, you know, I started my career in education. That's what got me involved in politics in the first place, um, teaching adults and then as a parent activist and working in schools, actually um, doing conflict mediation and conflict resolution with kids and with, with staff. So I've, I've spent an enormous amount of time in schools. And what I know is that for the last 50 years, we've been trying to create safe places for, for kids and for staff in schools. That's, that has been the objective, is to make schools safe for all the children who come through the door. And uh, increasingly over the years, we've recognized that there is such a diverse population. There are nearly 2 million kids in schools, in uh, publicly funded schools in Ontario. And those kids all have different needs. They come from different families, different backgrounds. And if a child decides that they're going to change their pronouns or they're going to change their name and they haven't told their families, there's probably a reason for that. And the reason is probably that they know even from a young a young age, they know that it's not going to be received well at home. And so they're they're talking to the teacher, they're talking to their friends at school um, as a as a, a starting point. And so if we if we interrupt that and we out children, then we're putting kids at risk. So that's that's fundamentally why I'm worried about it. 
And I just say one more thing for some kids who, who are not accepted in their homes um, for who they are or suspicion of who they are or whatever, sometimes school is the safest place in their lives. And if we mess with that and if we make school unsafe, then we're putting those kids at risk. To an extent, you, you've already answered the question I'm about to ask, um, <laughs> which might make you wonder why I'm asking it. However, I guess a, a natural reaction, and, and I, you know, I would admit right here that was initially my reaction, and I so subsequently in the last few days sort of changed my kind of perspective on this. Just, uh, but but I think the whole the issue of of tra trans uh, pronouns and uh, uh, changing uh, identity in whatever form whether it's a, a name or a gender identity is something that for many people is is a very is very new they're not familiar with it and the kind of immediate reaction is like well why wouldn't parents be involved you know uh, children after all are children they're not necessarily fully they're not fully developed they're not necessarily able to make the best decisions shouldn't parents be involved with this uh, uh, so you know, I'm sure this is the argument argument that the government is making. Is the parents need to need to have a say in this as the responsible mm -hmm. parties? Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do you respond to those kinds of points? Yeah, and you know, Roland, that's it's a really important question. So I see it as quite different from the the first question because it brings in it brings in the political motivation behind this, and I think that's you know that's really important, and so. Um, so let me just start here that um, of course parents want to know everything about their children. I want to know everything about my grown up children. I want to know everything about my grandchildren. You know, the fact is that we don't get to know everything about our children and our grandchildren. You know, the fact is that they have private lives and they have private lives from a very early age. I've talked to a number of people from the LGBTQ plus community over the last couple of weeks because of this issue. And I hear story after story about, you know, I was six years old and I knew that I felt differently towards girls or boys. And I didn't want to tell my mom or my dad because I, I knew they wouldn't like it. Um, I had a, a woman, uh, a lesbian say to me that her gay brother knew when he was three that he, you know, he didn't fit somehow. And people have to be allowed to articulate that to their families when they are ready. And so that's the first thing. I think there is a fundamental human right that children um, are allowed to have private lives. And we have private, children have private lives about all sorts of things, not just about gender, right? I think the second thing is that children experiment you know one of the really dangerous things that uh, certainly i heard stephen lecce doing in his remarks was that he was assuming that this was a medical issue so he was assuming that this was um, because a child was changing their pronouns at school or trying on a different name that that was immediately going to translate into they were going to have surgery they were going to transition and that's just not true. Children 
children try things on, they have questions, and they should be allowed to they should be allowed to ask those questions about themselves and to uh, to experiment. Um, I was talking to a teacher who was an early childhood educator, and she was saying, you know, the developmental stages that children go through, the things that children experiment with, do not necessarily set in stone what is going to happen in that child's life going forward. And so sometimes I think if we overreact or if we react to things that when a child is just, they're just having a thought or having a, a, a moment, then we create more confusion for the child. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that this is because of your, exactly because of the nature of your question, Roland, because on the face of it, it seems so reasonable that of course we would inform parents as soon as something happens with our children that is significant. It is a perfect issue for a segment of the political world, the, and I'm going to say the right wing at this point, because Florida, Saskatchewan, Ontario, New Brunswick, you know, these are places that are governed by very conservative governments at this point. And it's a perfect issue to divide people on issues around LGBTQ+. Because as someone said to me a couple of days ago, you know, for years, the right wing has tried to vilify lesbians and gays. Well, they failed at that now. But now the trans discussion is another opportunity for them. And protecting children is a cover, is a perfect cover for that kind of dog whistle politics. So I think that um, for all those reasons, your question is very, very important. Um, your your answer is a perfect segue into my, my, my next question. And that's... Right. Recently, there's been a recent poll by Angus Reid that has been circulated in the media, and it's kind of been a fuel for the advocates of this policy. And, and it was a poll that I won't go into line by line, but it basically indicated that a majority of Canadians thought, yes, parents should be involved in this decision and, and whatnot. And I have issues with the poll in itself, but you know, it's kind of being viewed as an argument that, you know, the those those wanting to, to allow children to have a greater say in this decision that they're on the wrong side of this debate in the in the political discourse and i i, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that on that poll and that kind of that that side of the argument that's you know that mm -hmm. that you're that essentially you're on the wrong side of canadian popular thought at the moment <laughs> well um, maybe, <laughs> maybe I am, but my lived experience, my, uh, my political experience, my education, my academic experience all tells me that we have to be very, very careful as we have this conversation. And to that poll, I believe what that poll did was it asked one side of the question. It said, um, do you think, I think some, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but something like, do you think parents should be involved mm. or parents should know if right. their children change their pronouns or change their name at school? But it didn't say, if a child or your child were going to be at risk, if the school informed the family, would you still agree? And I think that is, that's the critical question. Because most people don't realize 
how early, I mean, I've had, again, I've had conversations with so many people over the last couple of weeks, people who I thought would understand this better, you know, straight, cis, gender men who, um, who have no, who had seemed to have no idea that children early on start questioning, you know, and and if they are going to go home to an environment or they're going to be outed to someone who is going to be very angry about that, then, you know, that should be part of the polling question. And I think it would change the outcome. Um, on that note, I, I kind of want to get a bit into the, the, the practical aspects of this debate. And because I think you're right, that, that, that question was not asked. I think that's the, that's the telling question of where do people stand on that question is the only, to me, that's the only question that matters. But let's talk about practicalities. So let's say uh, uh, Ontario p pushes through with this policy and does implement this policy going forward. As I see it, it creates a bit of a paradox, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But if a student comes out to a teacher and says, I wish to change my pronoun, my name, and that teacher says, well, now I'm obligated to notify your parents at home. And that, teach and that knowingly, that teacher knowingly said, even if they don't know, but they they notify the parent, the teachers. The next week, that same child shows up with bruises, um, injuries on their body from home. Under Ontario uh, policy, the teacher has a duty to report right. the signs of abuse to Children's Aid um, and what have you. Doesn't this create a bit of a paradox? Like this entire thing is about ch children's safety. Like the, the overarching right. umbrella is the safety of the child. I think is paramount that we all want our children to be safe. And so that that strikes a paradox of the child comes out to the teacher because they say, "I want to feel safe at school." So this is what I think I need to go through, and it triggers ultimately children's aid coming and saying, "Well, now we're going to pull you out of this out of the home, or we're we're going to investigate your parents." You know that. It's just, it's, it's so messy. And I, you know. Well, it's so it's, dangerous. And, you know, I, I want to come back to that situation where the teacher, because the teacher get really gets caught in the middle. There. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Totally caught in the middle. But, you know, remember that if we look at the statistics around homeless kids on the street, mm -hmm. there's a high percentage of those kids who are, who have been kicked out of their homes because mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. um, LGBTQ plus or their parents suspect they're LGBTQ plus or you know th that continuum so um the toronto district school board created or the toronto board of Educa education created a a program called the triangle program uh in the city of toronto where there are you know 25 years of experience where of of kids who didn't feel safe in their community didn't feel safe in their even in their homes necessarily and and needed a place to be so that they could um, so that they could continue to learn. And so the triangle program has been that place. So that's what I mean about the last 50 years, we've been creating supports for kids who are living in just those situations. So go back to the, the child who informs the teacher, the teacher's obligated. So I hope what's going to happen, Joel, is if, if the uh, minister of education and this government uh, goes through with this policy, I hope that there's going to be a very strong pushback from people who are in classrooms, from teachers, from support staff, from administrators, from school boards. I hope that they are going to push back very, very hard and strong against that policy, even before it is implemented. 
Um, and certainly, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be working with people in the community to make sure that there's support for those elected officials to uh, to push back, because I think that once uh, such a policy is in place, then it does it does place the teacher in a terrible situation. Now, there will be good teachers who will find a way to support the child and follow the rules. You know, maybe there'll be a time lag, whatever. I don't know. But why would we put teachers in that position? You know, why would we not support teachers to be able to hear what a child is saying, to be able to give them the supports and to help them to be able to talk to their families when they're ready? You know, because that's that's the kind of support that a child in that situation needs or maybe not talk to them while they're in school. You know, maybe it maybe it's after they've left my son. So I came out when I was 37. Uh, my son was in grade I don't know, four or five. He knew that he was uh, gay and he didn't come out to us until he was 21. That's when he was ready. You know, and there were all sorts of reasons for that. It wasn't because he wouldn't have been accepted at home. Obviously, there were other there were other things going on in his life. But, you know, I think we just can't assume um, that a child is ready just because they make this this one change in their life. So that is that is what I hope happens if such a policy comes in, because if not, if it actually is implemented, then teachers support staff administrators are going to be in a very, very difficult position. I just want to dive in. I mean, as I say, my, my own thinking has been challenged by, by this issue. I mean, and I'm talking over a number of years uh, to, to an extent, and I, I hope I'm, <laughs> I'm hope I'm getting it now. Because, but, but I think that's the position that a lot of people, a lot of straight, cisgender people are in, of kind of going, I don't understand what this is about, and it's challenging frightening mm -hmm. i mean which is always the root of prejudice and all those things i know right but um and, and that we're really in a battle to overcome basically ignorance of people uh, such as myself clearly uh, at the same time as challenging the people who would use that ignorance for fairly pernicious ends it seems to me and, and i guess the question in this point is that you've already mentioned that the kind of how this is being used by the by the right and and you know uh not just the right but uh, but the far right as a kind of way to create a wedge in the most unpleasant ways and in the last year, few years we've spoken a lot on this podcast about education uh there was the pride flag debate in halton and uh, other school boards um the uh, it, it's come up so often and the and at the same time you know we we know teachers and um uh, Joel is a parent himself and the issues that teachers and parents are talking about are not those issues by and large I mean they're talking about uh, textbooks being available or they're talking about uh, you know the, the the challenge of violence in schools we spoke to the um the, the head of the uh, elementary teachers federation about that you know the problem of uh, of kind of maintaining discipline uh, teachers being these are things that teachers are talking about every single day now, I don't want to imply in any way that this isn't an important subject. Absolutely is. But it's being brought to the forefront right at this particular moment in history while there's a scandal about green belts and other things going on. Do you think those that's connected? Well, I think it's 
I have said publicly, I think it's interesting timing that the minister in Ontario is choosing right now to um, to raise this issue. Um, you know, they <laughs> this is a government that has is in deep trouble in terms of their ethics around um, the green belt and their their own processes. So um, it's hard for me, and it may be cynical, but it's hard for me as a as a politician, not to look at that and say, okay, somebody wants to change the channel here. They don't want to talk about the green belt. They don't want questions about the green belt. But I think we have, it's a bigger issue than that because it is happening across the country. Um, but, you know, wherever it's happening, it is, uh, it is, you're right. It is a distraction from what we really need to be talking about in our children's schools right now. Our kids in school, across the world, but certainly in, uh, in Canada, are coming out of three years of really not having a normal educational experience. And, you know, we, we can say our kids are resilient and, and all of that, but there are many, many kids who fell through the cracks in that period, who didn't have the support at home that they needed, that weren't able to access the resources that they needed, and they they need some support to, to catch up. And I don't just mean in their math and their, um, their English and French. I mean in terms of their social uh, socialization, their ability to be part of the school. So that's what we should be talking about. Are those supports in place for our kids? Are the mental health supports in place for our kids? Because that's what, that's what teachers are grappling with. That's what school communities are grappling with. But this issue is being weaponized by people who want a political issue that's going to be straightforward. They think it's going to be very straightforward. They think it's going to be literally, um, you know, you're on the right, as you said, the right side or the wrong side of history on that. They're going to use polls that are not, um, in my opinion, accurate because the questions have been oversimplified. And that's that's going to be a wedge in whatever political um, political venue they find themselves in. And, um, you know, for example, I understand that there is a, another convoy that's being put together and it's being put together under the banner of protect our children or save our children or something. So um, that's what I mean by the weaponization of kids' lives. And it's it's vile and it's wrong. Um, on that note, do you think that the LGBTQ plus community, and, and I'm going to, and specifically the, the trans community are being thrown under the bus for political expediency by the powers that be absolutely i think that i think that um you know roland put his finger on it when he said that it's it's hard for a lot of people to understand what a, um, a child who's questioning their gender their sex what their sexual orientation it's hard for people to necessarily wrap their minds around that so it's a deep taboo for for people, and so to tap into that vein of fear is, um, you know, it's very, it's very advantageous for um, for a political movement that wants to that wants to marginalize particularly trans people. But it goes beyond trans people; it's the whole LGBTQ mm -hmm. community. But tra the trans conversation is the way back into that, you know. Right. And so that that's why I think it's being done. I wonder if you could actually speak uh, some more uh, about 
what happens to children who, and, and, you know, another good example we haven't actually mentioned yet is, is which immediately causes a huge problem with this policy is, is what happens with separating the divorced parents where one parent is supportive and one isn't, do you tell both parents? You know, it's, it's unworkable mm-hmm. at a bottom level. Um, but you mentioned in passing already, you know, the, the implications for children, um, you know, the long understood and known um, uh, uh, fact for LGBTQIA children of, of all, all kinds who don't have parental support, who who are thrown out of houses, who end up... Uh, 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 maybe you could talk a little bit more of your kind of... your experience around those areas, your knowledge of people you've spoken to over the years of, of what can happen to people who um, whose parents are oppose their choices or oppose well, their, their, their yeah, identity? I mean, you know, I'm of, a, I'm, a, I'm of a particular generation, but many of the, you know, many of the things we're talking about are um, are things that have gone on for years and years. You know, the the rejection of uh, a family member because they uh, because they have chosen a different life, or they are different, or they are questioning their gender, or whatever. The whole continuum. There's a whole continuum there. And, you know, um, we can we can pretend that as a society we've, you know, we've moved away from that and we've solved all those problems. But uh, I'll just give you another example. Jane and I ran a, um, uh, a dance for a fundraising dance for years, um, about 10 years. And it was to raise money for the um, lesbian gay bi youth line. So the, the hotline uh, safety line for uh for um, distress line for for kids particularly, um, and to that dance would come people from 20 to 80, and the many of the women it was called Mad for Dancing, Middle Aged Dykes for Dancing, and many of the older women who would come, they would come, they would drive in, they'd drive three or four hours to Toronto, come to this dance, they were completely closeted in their lives. They didn't go home for Christmas to their families or to high days and holidays. They lived separate lives. You know, they had separate lives. So, so that's one thing that can happen if we, you know, if we force, if we force families to, um, to confront these issues before a child is ready, before there's been the groundwork done, um, we can force children onto the street. So places like Covenant House, um, they receive they receive many many children. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a very high percentage of uh, the student, the kids who end up on their doorfront and youth shelters, um, are kids who have been kicked out of home or who have run away. You know, it's not always kicked out of home. It's that they're they're fearful and they've run away from their home and their community because of LG, because of LGBTQ plus bullying or um, discrimination. So. So that can that can set a child on a path of um, pain and anguish for for their lives. I mean, a child, a, a, a young person choosing to use a different pronoun um, when they're in later elementary or uh, or high school um, is not nearly as dangerous as living on the streets of Toronto by themselves, right? It, and I was just thinking back as well to the, the It Gets Better campaign, which I, mean, I believe was was initially triggered by by someone committing suicide because their family 
designed them, or I can't remember the details specifically, but you know, and the number of of uh, of, of uh, gay, lesbian, trans children who uh, uh, and youth who were killing themselves regularly because of absolutely kind of it's four or five times the rate of kids who are not LGBTQ plus are questioning. So, yeah, I mean that that whole that whole mental health. Um, break that can happen if kids don't get the support that they need that can it can lead to suicidal ideation it can lead to all manner of um of problems that kids will have in their lives for the for the rest of their lives i, I just want to sort of again i mean i sort of admitted my own sort of mental homework if you like uh, around this this process and and um uh you know my, my interest is well you know maybe because of this kind of thing of teachers being caught in the middle of like, well, teachers are trying to negotiate the situation with, with children who, you know, maybe difficult children, may, and it's like, seriously, you're going to ask the teacher to, to go along with whatever. Can't we just say, like, wait until you're 16. When you're an adult, you can do what you like, call yourself what you like, do what you like. Until then, just stick with the name you were given. And, um, you know, the point that was made to me it, it very well was like, really what harm does it do you know if someone makes a decision at 13 and they change their their idea at 14 and they go back again at 15 who cares if that makes them happy if that makes their experience better if even if they are experimenting and the experiment ends up somewhere different than they thought who cares ultimately that isn't childhood a time to experiment and you know roland we could have the same conversation about um, a child who, you know, a little boy who decides to wear a tutu to school or a little girl who, in my, gen- in my generation, who didn't want to wear dresses because we weren't allowed not to wear dresses, you know. And I have, um, I had a friend, she's, she's not with us any longer, but she was born in 1938. And, you know, she will, she would tell the story of sitting on the floor of her mother's kitchen with the Eaton catalog at the time. And she'd be looking at overalls, little boys overalls. And she was three or four. And she'd say to her mom, those are my clothes. Those are the clothes that I should be wearing. You know, I mean, I, it, it, it is very emotional for me because it's exactly what you said. Who cares? Why can that child not wear overalls? What on what earthly difference does it make? And what earthly difference does it make if a little boy for a couple of years decides he's going to wear tutus or pink or whatever? Who cares? And how is that? How is that really materially different than a child saying, I'm going to be I'm going to be Joel today, you know, or I'm going to be Roland. Or uh, I'm sorry, if I just, yeah, I just want to jump in quickly just to respond to the point, Joel. Uh, sure. That when I was a child, I hated my name. I absolutely loathed the name my parents gave me because it was very unusual. I grew up in the UK, and it was even more unusual in the UK than it is in Ontario uh, uh, and English-speaking Canada. Um, and I got bullied because of it because everybody else was called Gary or Darren or Dave or Phil. And I was called Roland and it was a posh name and I despised it. And I would have done anything to change it if I could. In fact, I did try to change it and everybody said, Oh, shut up, Roland. You're not called John. You're called Roland. (laughs) 
And actually, at that point, it was made to me by by well, by my girlfriend, in fact. And she, um, and it really, uh, it, it's like it was kind of the light dawning moment. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. If I that would have made my life so much easier if I'd been able to say, I'd like to be John today. You know, I wasn't changing gender. I just would have liked to have a more working class name than I had. Um, it's a yeah. silly thing, and I'm not seriously comparing myself, but it brought home to me that that would have made my life a lot nicer. I'm kind of glad I have the name I have now because it's somewhat distinctive. I don't think I'd really want to be a Phil now. Nothing wrong with not dissing Phil's. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that that was the thing that kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I I get it now. That 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 kind of urge to be identified differently could be very powerful. Anyway, that wasn't yeah. a question. That was just my sort of thought. Well, I think it's, but I think it's important, and it goes back to my, it goes back to my um, little gambit about children. Children want to discover who they are. That's what child that's what childhood is. That's the work of being a child is discovering who you are. And there are many, many ways of doing that. And over generations, we have denied kids the opportunity to do that in many ways. I mean, I would I would say to you as someone who was born in the 50s that there are many, many young women who I grew up with who were much more constrained than our male counterparts, you know, um, because the rules were the rules were different. But over the years, we've tried to we've tried to stretch those and we've tried to create more space. And I think this is this is part of that. It's part of that evolution. Um, I, I kind of want to just go back to the, the political side here. And I, because I find that there's only one side really making an argument in so far in in this public discourse, and that, that's the people advocating for this policy change. And before we came, before we we, we reached out, I was kind of going through like, okay, what what are the opposition parties in Ontario saying about this? Uh, with the Minister of Education flirting with this idea, and right, my not my tally as of as of recording this is four of the five. Uh, Liberal Party leaders have come out and said some statement, basically saying that they were against this. Um, one has, I've to date, I don't think has stated anything publicly. Merritt Stiles, the NDP opposition leader, has been silent on this. Same as Mike Schreiner of the Green Party of Ontario has not released any public statement on this. And I want to get your your input. Uh, what what like what what does it, what does this say to you and if I can be so bold to the members of the LGBTQ plus community that these people who espouse uh, to be, to, to support this community have set, have stayed silent on this clearly important topic uh, to, to that community. Well, let me just first say that I've been, I've been very surprised by this, but I've, I've noted it as well. Um, as soon as I saw what Lecce and Polyevra had said, I crafted that that tweet and went out. And I realized with the response to it that people were waiting for someone to say something. And um, so I think there I think there are a number of things going on, Joel, perfectly honestly. I think that those polls that you talked about are scary to people. You know, they're scary to politicians. Sadly, they shouldn't be. 
Um, I believe that, uh, you know, it would be the right thing to do for um, anyone who understands this issue to speak out and use their platform, you know, and I understand better than most people how difficult it is to use your platform when you are in elected office and you know that your um, your political existence hangs in the balance in terms of what people uh, think of you. So I understand that. But I also understand that the only reason to get into politics is to have a platform to be able to create a better world and create safer spaces for people, particularly for children. So, so I hope that all those people who you have identified who haven't said anything will educate themselves on the issue, because I think that's the second issue. Um, the, the second reason that people may not have spoken out is that they just haven't figured it out or they haven't got people around them who are able to say, this is, this is what's really going on here. This is the challenge. And this is why kids are at risk. And I understand that, um, that it is a, it's a, you know, it's a challenging issue and not everybody has all the information that they need. And I'm the first to admit that we need to continue to educate ourselves but we need to listen to trans people, we need to listen to children, and we need to listen to the educators who understand what uh, is going on in schools. So let's hope that over the next few days, weeks, that that happens, and people who want to be allies understand how they need to be. Well, I definitely think we need a little bit more courage in Canadian politics at all levels of uh, government on a not just on this issue, which is important, but on on a variety of of topics. Um, I, I do see that we are coming up a bit on our on our recording time. Um, I, I I only have the one one last question to, to ask, and I want to give you kind of the the final word on this on this issue. And I want to ask you as a parent and as a grandmother and a mother, uh, there are parents out there as we've kind of touched upon in this dialogue today that. I, I, I want to honestly say that they do care about their child and they are con concerned. They, they want us to love and they want to support their child. If they do come out in whatever capacity that they do, they want, they want to be there for them. They want to, to nurture and be, be the parent that they, that child needs. And I wonder if maybe you could just tell them what, what, what should they know? What should they, what, what should they, what should they be thinking? What they, should they be doing? And, 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 what you know, may, maybe be a little bit less afraid of, yeah, uh, of, of what's going on. Yeah. So let me just say my starting point, Joel, in any um, assumption about a relationship between a child and a parent is that the parent loves the child. You know, I think that uh, it's. I just think that is that's a, a truth, and doesn't matter what your political perspective is doesn't matter what your background is you love you love your children and you may express that in different ways and you may have your own challenges and but you love your child and in even even parents who um who are really angry or upset about this they're they're upset because they're fearful for their child as you have said so i really i encourage i encourage um parents to do some reading. I encourage them to read some of the uh, research that an organization like EGAL has done. I encourage them to listen to the voices of other parents. The parent 
Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays um, is a, a wonderful organization that that does education, you know, that that works to create um, space for parents who are questioning and who don't understand what's going on with their families. So I encourage parents to reach out to that group. They are all across the country and they are very warm and very welcoming and non-judgmental. This is not about judging each other. This is about not judging each other, you know, and it's about helping each other to get the information that they need. So that's, I think, the most important thing that we can do. And and then I think on a, on a, a broader kind of um, stage, we need to find ways for um, people who have lived experience um, to, to tell their stories, you know, and and to you know, kids who who may have used different pronouns when they were little and then didn't transition, kids who did transition, why? What was all that about? I mean, there is such a lack of information and fearfulness about asking that I think, um, you know, we need to be way more intentional as a society about getting that information out to people so that they can feel less fearful. So that's that's what I would say. And I, I think, you know, what I had gotten to before this most recent um, kind of uh, regression that I think we're in right now, what I had gotten to was that there are very few people in Ontario or in Canada who don't know somebody who's gay, you know, who don't know somebody from the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I, I really believe that the more people can ask questions and can demonstrate that they want to understand uh, the better off we're going to be. I'll leave it at that then. Um, thank you very much. The honorable Kathleen Wynn for taking the time to talk about this very, uh, this very important, important issue that's going on in our, our schools. Thank you very much. Um, take care and, and all the best. Thank you so much for having me both of you, Joel and Roland. Take care. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. 
Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.